G'day, you're listening to the Virtual Staff Room and this is episode 35, Free as in Speech. Thanks for joining us again here on the Virtual Staff Room. My name is Chris Betcher. About a year ago, I went to the ULEARN conference in Christchurch, New Zealand, and a wonderful conference it was. In fact, I'm going back again this year, looking forward to it very much. But at the unconference session last year, uh, which was held in Boater's Restaurant down just by the Avon River there in Christchurch, um, we had an unconference session, and there were tables of people set up all around the place, uh, and you could just pick a table, go up, and start a conversation and talk about pretty much whatever uh, was emerging as the topic at the table. And I happened to meet a guy called Mark Osborne. And Mark is the deputy principal of Albany High School in in New Zealand, just outside Auckland. And what struck me as we spoke to Mark was that his school, which is a green space school, Greenfield School, so it's a brand new school, uh, no legacy to drag behind it. It was uh, free to invent itself from the ground up, had made a decision that it was going to run entirely on open source software and the cloud. So they run very few servers. In fact, the goal at the time, as you'll hear from Mark, was to run no servers at all on the premises, uh, working on this idea that the job of a school is to provide education, not technology services. Someone else should be doing that. So the school uh, was started on the premise of providing uh, everything in the cloud and everything open source. So in this episode, we get to talk about these things. Uh, I said to Mark at the time, I'd love to carry on this conversation. So here we are a year later talking about open source and the cloud. I also invited in uh, Roland Guesthausen and Peter Ruwalt, who are two Australian teachers who I knew work a lot with open source software and, um, and have the same kind of outlook on, on the way the world should work with open source. So I've asked them to come along and, and they join as part of the way into this podcast. So um, yeah, it's really interesting and, and I think a great example of what can be done when you're starting from scratch with a new uh, brand new school from the ground up. So here we go. Thanks for joining us. I'd like to welcome Mark Osborne to the virtual podcast. And Mark, tell us who you are and what you do. Well, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm actually deputy principal of uh, Albany Senior High School in uh, in Auckland, in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I um, I look after all sorts of things at Albany Senior High School. My background is as a uh, an English and history teacher, but I'm um, my main focus is really uh, looking after e-learning. So um, anything to do with computers and uh, web-based learning and gadgets and phones and uh, iPods and whatever else we're using. All the fun stuff. Mm. Um, are you assistant principal, do I recall? Yes, that's right. Okay, yep. Uh, no, no, you probably said that and I missed it, sorry. Uh, now, we met last year when we were in Learn together and we, we sort of bumped into each other at the unconference session down there at Boda's Restaurant. And um, had a great chat and I was really keen to get you back and have a chat about how uh, all the stuff we spoke about then is progressing because your school is essentially running on open source in the cloud, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I was fascinated um, by that because you've really kind of ditched all the conventions about um, all, the, all the conventional wisdom that people say you should run a school on local servers and local mail servers and all the rest of it and you've just gone, nah, <laughs> the cloud, open source, it can do it all. So I'm really yeah, keen to explore absolutely. that with you. Well, we um, there's, there's so many so many components to what we're doing, so we might just deal with them one at a time. We sure. the, um, Albany Senior High School is a is a not quite a brand new school, but pretty close to it. We've been uh, open for 18 months, and uh, as I said, uh, year 11, 12, and 13, so the final three years of um, high school in, in New Zealand. 
And we, um, the leadership team was assembled 12 months before the school uh, opened. And what we did was um, really just thrash around as, as many ideas as we could about learning in the in the 21st century. What were the, what were the, Curricula. What were the pedagogies? What were the, the physical spaces? The the attributes of, of um, good teaching, good learning, that would be required for uh, a school in the twenty first century. We wanted our students to make a real contribution, to be successful, to all, all, do all those things that uh, a lot of schools um, profess to want to achieve. But the the thing that was different with our situation was that we had a blank canvas. We yeah, we that, had a building. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we had a building that was still um, on paper, and yeah. so we had input into the construction of the building. But everything else, all the teaching and learning stuff, was all up for grabs, really. That must be a really good feeling to know that you're inventing it from the ground up to be what you want it to be. You don't have any legacy oh, to drag along behind you. Absolutely. It's just been the most thrilling experience for everybody involved, the, the teachers as well as the students. But you, you said it right when we didn't have any um, any legacy systems to be supporting. We didn't have, have any infrastructure that would then dictate future decisions that we, we can't have environment X because we've yeah. got server Y. We had none yeah. of that, so yeah. we could just start afresh. Yeah, I, I deal with that every day. We try and make decisions at my school, but it's always like, oh, no, we can't do that because we don't have this software or we run this server or that person refuses to learn a new software package or whatever. Yeah. Um, we, um, that, that freedom actually was one of the, one of the greatest liberating factors that, that were in play. And, and in fact, our decision to move to the cloud is – a direct acknowledgement of, of how valuable that freedom is. Mm. We um, we decided to, we've, we're lucky enough to have a, an ultra-fast broadband connection. We've got um, 100 megabit per second broadband um, right at our gate. And so it just goes straight into <laughs> our, our um, server room. And it meant that all sorts of options opened up to us. And what we quickly realized was that we could we could actually just get services out on the web wherever we wanted that would meet our needs at a certain point in time. We recognised that those learning needs of the students would change over time and our requirements for learning management systems for any sort of infrastructure would change with those those learning needs. So can and I just so, re-clarify that? So you've, you're sitting on a 100 megabit pipe. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> for well, those, of, I mean, for the, those listening who are non-technical, that's a bloody <laughs> big pipe. It's very fast. I mean, I'd love a gig, but um, it's very expensive. We'll get there, but um, at the moment, it's actually very manageable, very affordable because of uh, the infrastructure in the street in front of us wow. um, for us to have commodity internet at 100 megabits per second. Wow. So, you know, we, we also, um, if we adhere to open standards and, and we can get access to our data, um, and we decide that whatever environment we're using at the moment is no longer meeting our needs, we can just up our data and go to another another provider somewhere else in the country who's yep. also got ultra-fast broadband and then just, you know, pick up where we left on with, off with a, with a better set of tools. Wow. Is it hard getting that much bandwidth? I mean, I know that's that's yeah. sort of that sort yeah, of pipe yeah, is not, not common in Australia, anyway. No, it's not. Um, it's not hard for us and for the schools around us because we're in a relatively new area and uh, we're really well served for uh, for fibre. There are a lot of schools up and down the country uh, in New Zealand who um, would 
just would kill for for 10 megabits. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow, that must make a big difference. So because of that infrastructure then, you've, you've basically decided that all of your services don't have to live on site. They can live in the cloud. That's right, that's right. And so we... It's about core business, really. We're not in the, our core business is learning, and is about providing the right tools uh, to meet our students' learning needs. We're yeah. not interested in stacking a room full of flashing lights and um, assembling a team of technicians to maintain all our all our gear. So we we basically don't have to invest in the big capital expenditure. Uh, what we do is is a little bit of ongoing operating expenditure and say right well instead of buying a massive tape drive to back up all of our files that sits on site and requires someone to maintain it and someone to drive the tapes off site and put them in a bomb proof bunker. Yeah. Uh, what Google we'll do, do is just. <laughs> Well, exactly. We'll get somebody else to do it and we'll pay them a few hundred dollars a month and that'll be our entire backup solution. Wow. So so you have no servers on premises at all? We, we do have a few. Um, my starting point was I don't want a single server on site and, and then we, we um, went back from that position right. when I was convinced that it made sense. So, for instance, a print server, we have a print server on site because in order to send my print job from my laptop to the photocopier sitting next to me, it didn't make sense to send it all the way out to the web and then bring it back. Sure. So that's, in fact, local. Yeah, um, that makes sense. We, what about your student management system? The student management system's on site, but only because the um, – the purveyors of our student management system don't actually offer a hosted solution. The The moment they do, we will move to a hosted solution. I don't want to be running updates. I don't want to pay my technicians to run updates. I want somebody else to look after that for me. Mm. Uh, the other thing that you get when you go to the cloud is the potential to connect up all your environments as well. If you've got them um, all local, all in-house, all behind a really strong firewall, it's actually really hard to connect up your data sitting on your little island, your secure island, within of the, any of the other environments out there. And so getting our, our student management system out there is actually going to be really, really good for getting our, our most important data talking to our other important uh, environments. Right. Yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> I mean, the argument that anyone always throws up at this is, oh, security, you know, your stuff's not on site, it's all off site. That's not been an issue for you, obviously. No, not at all, not at all. We have we have uh, data security insofar as we have root access to um, the servers that we need. But in fact, um, I would argue that the running our own mail server and trying to maintain a firewall that is um, secure enough to protect all of our our core um, data and our email exchanges, that's, that's, we don't have the expertise yeah. in-house in to be able to run a system like that as secure. So you take our learning management system, for instance. Um, we could It's Moodle, it's open source, it's a fantastic learning management system, very easy to set it up. I've got a copy on my laptop. But that copy is not necessarily as secure as the copy that I've got sitting in the data center in Wellington yeah, run yeah. by the company that supports it. They've got 100 staff. They have sysadmins. They have security experts. They have text messaging. If my hard drive starts to get full at 3 in the morning, somebody's in there fixing it, um, and I don't even know that there's a problem. It's fixed by the time I have my breakfast. We just can't support 
that kind of infrastructure or that kind of security expertise yeah, in house. Yeah. And so we're for a, again for a modest fee every month, we're actually buying some pretty pretty powerful expertise. Mate, as speaking as the guy who used to do the trying to keep everything running <laughs> in a school, I can tell you that's an eminently sensible decision you're taking there. Because yeah. you're yeah, right, teachers don't have the expertise, and to employ someone in uh, into a school to do that, it's a big overhead to carry that level of expertise in house. That's right. That's right, and it's about specialisation, really. Um, you know, there's two and a half thousand schools in New Zealand. Why don't we stick to learning, and we'll let the IT companies look after the IT stuff? What a concept! <laughs> yeah, strange. <laughs> so tell me but, what. You know, um, <laughs> sorry, go on. It's, the only point I was going to make was that it's all it's all prefaced on having access to really good fibre. You need bandwidth totally in order yeah. to do that sort of stuff that we're doing. Yeah, yeah, that really is the key. Yeah. We, we're sitting on a 10 megabit pipe, which we thought was um, adequate, but we're quickly realising it's hopelessly inadequate. We're about to go to 50, so, you know, sitting on 100. It's pretty pretty good. It's a big pipe, yeah. So um, what have you pushed off-site? So you've got, uh, I think you said you use Google Docs a lot and you use yeah, Gmail some- for stuff? We're, um, we're an open source school and we might talk about that a bit later on, mm, but one yeah. of the few environments that um, we're not uh, open source is um, our use of Google Apps and Google mm-hmm. hosted apps. So mm-hmm. um, we use Google to host our email. We don't have an email server on site. As we've said, we've actually got 10,000 email servers spread around the world and Google security looks after that. We also use Google Docs um, and Google um, Calendars. So that's our kind of productivity suite. And the reason we looked at a number of open source um, productivity suites, online ones. Um, everything that we do is is um, is online, basically. There are very, very few of our environments that are client-server applications just because the browser is king and it will increasingly become um, more of a, of a king. It's a, it's um, means that we can support multiple devices. If your device has a browser um, but it doesn't have... Uh, a particular client for something, then if we use a browser-based application, then you can access any of our services. So um, email is a good example of that. We don't, you don't open a program like Outlook to to read your emails. You visit a website to yep. visit your yep. emails. Um, and so Google does that. The reason that we we decided to go with Google, even though it's not truly open source, is because the collaboration possible through uh, Google Docs and also Google Mail and calendars is quite simply astonishing. To have yeah. ten people editing the same single document, tracking changes, is just quite extraordinary. And it opened up huge collaborative opportunities for our students. And so at that point, we deviated from our vision of saying, well, actually, we'd like to be open, but in fact, it's it's just as important to be collaborative, and that's the best offering that, that I've uh, seen in that space. Yeah, no, I agree with you, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, you were saying other- that this the, the, the Google Docs um, environment is for everybody. It's not just the kids. So the teachers, the entire staff of the school all use Google Docs. That's right. Um, so everybody's on the same domain, if you like. We have the uh, our school dot um, school dot nz. Um, everybody who is um, either a teacher or or a, or a um, student at our school um, automatically gets an account, and um, everybody makes um, as much use of it as anybody else. So, you know. D- 
the the students I've I've seen students sitting down they're, they're four computers in a row four pairs of students all working on the same single presentation so you might be working on slides one and two I'm on slide three and four and you know our friends next to us are finishing the rest of the presentation at the end of that. Um, period of work when it's ready to be presented, all they do is share it with the teacher whose laptop is connected to the data projector at the front of the room. Yep. There's no moving files around or emailing them to yourself or putting them on a flash drive to get them to the teacher's laptop so you can present them on the whiteboard through the data projector. But then teachers use it for um, little simple things that just make their lives easier. So um, it's common practice in our um, our school that if you've got a meeting, what you do is set up a Google Doc with a draft agenda. You will then email a calendar entry to uh, each of the, the people you want to come to the meeting. They, of course, can collaboratively, collaboratively um, edit that agenda and add their own points. When it comes time for the meeting, you open that same single document yep. that everybody has access to it, and each one of those um, agenda items just becomes minutes for the for the meeting. Yeah. So everybody must be great for policy development. It is very very good. <laughs> all of our policies are are um, in Google Docs and they're all online. Because you've also got really good granular control as well. You can say that so and so isn't the owner of this document. Yep. These people can edit it, but the rest of these other people can only read it. So you've got incredible control over it. Yeah. Yeah. Now we use it at school a lot. Um, well, a lot. Not nearly as much as you do <laughs> because we're using it as a, like an alternative rather than the only thing. What I love about what you've done is this is, this is your first line of defence, isn't it? This is your only line yeah. of defence. Yeah. We do have um, an offline um, office suite, but you know, it's, it's open office. It's yeah. open source. It's free to download. Anybody can good. install it on any computer anywhere. What we didn't want to do was spend three or 400 bucks on an office suite and know that actually the majority of the time it's going to be redundant because we're doing all of our stuff in the cloud. Yeah, sure. No, that makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah. Now, we, I've just got some kids at school using uh, Google Docs to do collaborative stuff, you know, sh writing scripts together and that sort of thing. And um, for a bunch of digital natives, they hadn't come across it before. Um, no, really? Yeah, really? Yeah. No, it's it's just wonderful in terms of collaboration. That's coming back to our vision of our school. Um, the modern mm. workplace, the modern world um, is collaborative. None of the problems that are that are facing us as a as a society, let alone as an individuals, are going to be able to be solved by working on our own. You know, peak oil and global warming and all that sort of stuff, those are collaborative challenges and, and the more we can actually line our students up to work in a collaborative world the better we serve them yeah no absolutely absolutely agree but some of the other environments that we've moved off site are well just about everything really so there's email and, and productivity a learning management system as i said that's um, hosted in wellington another environment that's in wellington is um, our e-portfolio system so we use mahara as a um, as a our open source e-portfolio system, yep. our library management system, video server. We've got our own sort of private YouTube. We've got a microblogging service that um, is, is like Twitter, social bookmarking like Delicious. They're all open source environments. Lovely. They're all um, off-site. Huh. Mate, I'm just going to pause you there for a sec. I've got, uh, I'm going to bring in a guest. Uh, do you know Roland Guesthausen at all? No, no, I don't. Uh, let me bring him in and introduce him to you. Just a sec, because Roland's uh, very big into the whole open source thing. 
and so I thought he'd like to join us. If he answers the phone. Testing one, two, three. <laughs> Hello, Roland. Four, five, six. Hi, oh, champion. I'm using the microphone and the headset. Is that better? Uh, yeah, that's quite good. How are you doing? Awesome. Uh, Roland, meet Mark. Mark, this is Roland. Hi, Roland. G'day, Roland, mate. I'll get you to just introduce yourself, mate, and just tell us um, who you are and what you do and where you work, that type of thing. Cool. Um, I'm a uh, leading teacher at uh, Westall Secondary College. Uh, we're located in the uh, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. Actually, here's a little note fact. If you cut Melbourne out of a piece of paper and balance it on a spindle, it actually balances about 100 metres south of the school. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it means that you know, wherever we go, we've got suburbia, you know, sprawling all around us, and uh, it's a bit like the scene in um, the castle where the chap sort of looks out and sees the pylons behind his house. Um, we've got uh, three electrical pylons on the corners of the school. If we had a fourth, we could have a complete set. Excellent. Dad, Dad says they're a wonderful reminder of man's ability to generate electricity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and Roland, you, uh, I've invited you in along here. I've been chatting with Mark for the last, uh, gosh, couple of minutes, 10 minutes or so. And um, he's been telling us about his school in Auckland, which is um, basically runs as much as possible in the cloud. So apart from the exception of a couple of servers on site, everything else is in the cloud. They're running Google Docs, they're running Gmail, they're running Moodle, uh, but it's all hosted solutions. There's very little that actually runs on site. So I thought you'd find that interesting. And um, Mark, just so you know about Roland, he teaches in a school where, again, there's a big focus on open source software and um, uh, not using proprietary stuff. So I thought you guys would have a bit in common. So that's why I've asked you to mm. both be here. Champion. Right. So, Roland, I'm just going to get you to go and hold for a sec because Mark was just about to tell us about some of the other uh, services that are running at the school. Um, and you're just telling us, Mark, you've got the, the, the Moodle and the Mahara and the um, – you said the, the Twitter Twitter clone, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, status, there's a, there's a great – great, yeah, it is status on there. Um, one of the cool things that, that um, we've really pioneered in this country is um, a real commitment to um, – project-based learning and student-led yep. learning. So, in fact, we, we are off timetable. We don't have any timetable classes on Wednesdays. The students work on projects of their own choosing and of their own devising with, uh, with mentor teachers and with experts from the community. And I'm lucky enough to have a, a group of um, students who are um, uh, fantastically gifted in, in um open source software and you know they can they're building their own web servers and doing all sorts of really exciting things they they have decided that one of the contributions they want to make to the school is to um, set up and, and develop and maintain um, a range of open source uh, learning environments and so um, they have uh, actually set up their own uh, the school zone version of status net so a microblogging or, or Twitter alternative and it's hooked into our um, our single sign-on service, so your username and password that gets you into 
um, onto the computers at our school will also take you straight through um, to the to the microblogging site. And so we use that for a range of things. Um, most importantly, just um, keeping track of all the group work that goes on on Wednesdays. So somebody will update their status and, and say, you know, I've, I've finished the uh, the business plan. I'm, I'm now moving on to the marketing plan. They don't need to be in the same place in the school as the rest of the people in their group to, um, to be letting each other know what's going on or to be asking questions or to be um, just communicating in general. That also then produces an RSS feed, which is a really nice summary of all of the work that's gone on over the course of the day and uh, over the course of the project as a whole. So it's got this fantastic symmetry of a student-led project that is now facilitating really well communication and enhancement of other student-led projects. Wow. Pretty amazing. These are 15-year-old kids. Wow, that's awesome. Mm. Very impressive. Another thing that they've um, they've developed, we call it our tube. So um, instead of YouTube, it's our tube. Um, so a, an own, uh, it's our own sort of private walled garden of uh, that's a, a video server, web-based video server. Um, we're migrating at the moment from one that's powered um, by Plone to one that's powered by Drupal. Drupal's obviously much better supported than Plone and has um, um, a far larger community. So we're um, it's it's Flash Video and. Again, hooked into our um, single sign-on solution. Anybody can upload um, videos. Those are moderated by a list of, uh, of um, um, people who are moderators who can over oversee the content. And um, it's got all the sort of stuff that you'd expect from a really full-featured content management system like five-star ratings and comments and tags and um, subscription feeds and all that sort of stuff. So, again, really powerful tool for teachers to be able to share documentaries and animations and uh, all sorts of cool stuff with the students and an, another student-led project. Wow. <laughs> I haven't heard of um, – I mean, I'm aware of Drupal, of course, but I just yeah. had no idea it could do that sort of stuff. So, there's a, it's just a set of plugins, basically. You um, set up a Drupal site and uh, you drop this video folder in and all of a sudden your Drupal site becomes a video server. Huh. So, then you can tack all sorts of other powerful stuff onto Drupal, obviously, such as OpenID support um, and, uh, as I say, ratings and comments and moderation, all that sort of stuff from the very rich um, set of, of plugins for, for Drupal. Wow. You're a Drupal guy, Roland, aren't you? Oh, too. Right. Um, we've got a uh, Drupal server. Um, I had a chance to uh, cut my teeth onto it um, with the various groups outside school, and uh, it's an enterprise system. It's interesting that um, the uh, Prime Minister's website runs uh, Drupal, and I think that's also the White House administration runs Drupal. Um, New York Times. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, it's an enterprise system um, like Moodle. It's, it's come of age. And, you don't have to have a Drupal server if you want to get your head into it. There's a website called Drupal Gardens that uh, you can get yourself started with uh, building a Drupal website. Hmm. But you you host one locally, don't you? Yeah, we have a we have a local, um, probably a very similar setup to uh, my New Zealand colleague. Uh, we've got a um, uh, VMware environment where I can virtualize using a uh, Linux Debian um, package. Um, a uh, Drupal server. Um, your authentication is done through um, an LDAP connection with the uh, local network directory. 
So um, it's just a matter of creating a local account and um, that user can authenticate and uh, see secure pages on the Drupal server. Yeah, I guess the difference is that under your situation, Mark, you're not even hosting that on site. That's all offsite. No, no, that's right. We've got um. <laughs> Roland, these three... guys are sitting on a hundred meg pipe, mate. Pipe <laughs> <laughs> to the front door. Awesome. Um, we've got three big servers, well, um, one small server and two big servers at a data center that's actually just down the road. You can almost see it from the school, but it might as well be in the other end of the country because we've got the fiber link. Um, and so we've got one uh, terabyte for um, backup that backs up all of our all incremental backups of all the files that have changed over the course of the day. Those get shot over in the middle of the night. And uh, one terabyte server that hosts all of our um what we call web services. So that's the video server, that's the uh, microblogging platform and a, and a few others that work there. So very, very similar to um, Roland's uh, setup, only we don't have a local LDAP connection. We use a, a SAML-based single sign-on solution that then talks back to our LDAP server. Huh. Wow. Impressive. Very impressive, yeah. So we've actually, one of the great things about being an open source school, we run Linux on the desktop and uh, apart from not having to deal with viruses at all, um, we've got this really cool setup with uh, using these things called PAM modules. Um, I'm not very technical, but I've had it explained to me that when you log into the computer uh, with your username and password, that then authenticates to the firewall. And the firewall knows that so-and-so is, is running on this computer. When you open a web browser and then click email, you don't have to enter your username and password anymore because it knows who you are. And we've also got that not only for email, calendar, and documents, but we've literally got that single sign-on for our intranet, our ePortfolio system for Wiki Educator, which is like Wikipedia, but for teaching and learning materials, our video server, uh, status net microblogging um, for our, um, our Plig, which is our social bookmarking site. And so you literally log in at the computer, and that's the only time you have to uh, present a credential. You're just logged in seamlessly to all those environments, which is pretty cool. Uh, that's the bit that astounds me. You've managed to get single sign-on working for all this. And most people talk about single sign-on. What they really mean is dual sign-on because you have to log into the computer, then you open a browser and yeah. sign in again. Yeah. But from that point, it's seamless all the way through. We truly have literally single sign-on. Log into the computer and you're away. That's the only time you're asked to present a credential. <laughs> and if you think about it, Chris, it's, it's kind of happening already with um, the way that um, – Various web services are currently working where um, you're beginning to see transport layers to allow authentication so you can uh, post something on Twitter and have it authenticate and sort of punch itself downstream sure. or yeah. uh, working through LinkedIn or through Flickr or through um, Facebook. Yeah, that's with so like no, no, OAuth, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, and, and it's, it's the way things are heading and in some ways um, there's a good leaf that we could take out of that book and begin to apply it inside schools in a way we expect the interoperability. Um, it doesn't need perhaps a super system to do it as much as perhaps um, some super thinking around how to make it work. Yeah, wow. Hey, I'm just going to, um, uh, at the risk of uh, <laughs> overloading Skype here, I'm just going to drag in Peter Ruolt as well. Uh, and Roland, you would know Peter. Yeah, cool. Well, I imagine. Mark, you may not. Um, Man, Gambia. Greetings. Peter. Hello, Peter. Oh, hi, how are you? Good, mate. I'm very good. Um, Peter, we're online with uh, Mark Osborne uh, from New Zealand in Auckland who runs a, basically an open source school. We'll come back to that. And you know Roland, of course. 
Yes. Hi, hi Mark. Um, hi, hi, nice to meet you. Peter's okay. also an open source guy in a big way and um, I saw him online before and I said, do you want to pop in? Uh, and I think you've probably got about 15 or so minutes, Peter, so feel free to join us. Thanks. Um, I, that conversation we were having before, guys, was fascinating to me, but I know a lot of people listening to this are going to go, oh, that's a bit geeky. So I, I want to come back to the whole educational use and what you're doing with the open source stuff and why educationally you think it it's a better alternative to, say, the proprietary products or trying to do it yourself or trying to run your own servers. Um so what are the educational things? And I know, Mark, you started this whole conversation uh, before the other two guys came in talking about that all of this is coming from a kind of a, a pedagogical, uh, almost like a, um, you know, a belief system and that this is, this is the right way to run an education system. Yeah, yeah. We've got a, a really um, clear vision um, and we, we have a set of values that underpin that vision and it's about... Uh, equipping students for the for you know the world that they find themselves in. and I think most schools would say that uh, but again coming back to that that point that I made earlier we had an opportunity to start from a, a greenfield site and what we what we knew um, was that uh, education was is a very social thing it's about connecting people uh, you don't learn anything on your own even even if you're reading something on your own you're actually interacting with somebody else's ideas yeah. um, it's a it's a constructive activity you learn best when you actually make something and do things um, it's a it's a an activity that requires the free flow of information. You know, David Wiley says our, our benchmark for, for the very best teachers is that they share most freely with the most people. Yeah. What we do, our business is about moving information and about doing things with those pieces of information. So we did a lot of soul searching and thought actually what we need to do is set ourselves up to be able to, one, give students access to information um, as, as freely as possible, but also to make sure that they have access to a powerful set of tools to do things with that information. And ideally, they would, with what we know about learning and, and readiness, they would be able to do that whenever they were ready to learn. It wouldn't neatly fit between 9am and 3pm on you know, Mondays through to Fridays. It could be 10 o'clock in the evening that when they're ready to work on that particular piece of learning or construct that thing. And so we, we did a lot of soul searching and a lot of thinking about how we could uh, set up an environment that would facilitate that. And increasingly, we thought that proprietary software uh, that has cumbersome and um, sometimes expensive licensing and also uh, proprietary file formats where you need my software in order to access my ideas would yeah. actually cut against everything that we were trying to do. Yeah. You have to agree, it's, it's as much about teaching students of a way of life that is more real world and um, perhaps just packaging into a little office. Um, I mean, the, the kind of stuff that we're doing now with some of the tools that drive the internet and Skype and other things are based on uh, open source software from the Google Enterprise. And I think that that's real world. I'm not an OS fascist, but I really would like to embrace something that's a bit richer than uh, just one little system. And that's where we came from. Um, my case is a little bit different. Um, we um, are the only school in Australia that teaches Cambodian or Khmer to the secondary level. And it doesn't work 
very well in the Windows environment. It just breaks all the time. It's an absolute disaster. And it's because it's not part of the standard language sets of languages. Nobody kind of really cares about them. It's all done with packs and hacks. And um, it was when OpenOffice 2 came onto the scene and the Cambodian um, expatriate online community was able to directly modify the code within two weeks we had a fully functioning word processor, spreadsheet, an environment, online system. And that was because we had the ability to go in and directly engage the software and change it and make it fit our needs. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. And, that, and that's where that openness begins to come in. It's not just about, I guess, um, saving money. That's, that's a nice benefit how it happens. But it's about making it do what we needed to do to fit what we wanted to do, not because of what somebody says we should be doing. Um, so we've been able to engage a community in their own language. That's a pretty powerful thing to do. And it's only because we had open source software, we had links to um, expatriate uh, programmers who are Cambodian uh, literate, we were able to make that change. In two weeks, we could do it. And uh, I know the Cambodian government itself is a yeah, big supporter of it. Um, what we think as a software license is for them around six months salary for a teacher. Wow. That's uh, a fascinating yeah. story. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's, um, it's, it's also a story about the power of community. Yeah. Um, the broader your community, the more support it has for things like languages, but also for just different ways of doing things. And as soon as you start limiting your community to a set of people in the Western world who can afford to pay this amount of money for this piece of software, then you're really talking about the very tip of the iceberg. Open source software by its very nature has such a broad, it's such a broad church because anybody who has access to a computer can download it, install it, make a contribution. That's a fantastic story about about the power of open source to, to transform. Yeah, and I know uh, Mark when we were chatting in Auckland last year, uh, sorry Christchurch last year, and from conversations with Roland that I've had, you know, often the driving decision behind going, um, you know, open, it, it looks on the surface like it's a, a financial decision. You know, it's free, but it's usually so much a, a deeper philosophical pedagogical decision to, to be to be open a deci- mm. uh, like a decision to be open rather than a decision to be closed it, it is it's a real shame that people see it as you know the, the free software as free as in beer not not free, free as, as in speech, speech. Yeah. yes mm. absolutely peter feel free to jump in any time yeah. you're being very quiet there <laughs> yeah I, I am i look for us it's all about being able to continue um, people being able to continue with their learning unencumbered. So I can very much identify with what uh, both Roland and Mark are saying. Um, and, you know, being able to give the software to kids to take home and having that same software at school means that they're able to continue with their learning wherever, just as Mark was saying. And uh, open file formats, unencumbered um you know, and they're able to take that as learning as far as they like. They're not being limited to a particular piece of software in a class, and that's the only time that they can access that software. Um, just give us, because you came in late, just give us a snapshot into your situation as far uh, as mm-hmm. you know, this stuff and how it fits in with your particular educational situation. Yeah, well, whenever a kid enrolls at our school, we give them a, a CD um, that has a range of uh, software on it and they um, are told that they can take that home and install it wherever and give it to their mates. We have that all that software also installed on all of our school computers so that then the kids have a choice about um, what software they use but most importantly so that they can 
you know, continue with their work at home and they can use the learning that they're doing at school perhaps more as a starting point. Um, they, they're free to take that learning wherever they want. Yeah. Yeah. No. So That's actually really important because a mission of what schools are about are teaching people to be good citizens and good neighbours and to cooperate with others. And it's just lovely to hear about you saying you share it with your mates. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's our business. Yeah, for sure. Mm, definitely. The um, the other thing that, that uh, the, the other benefit of open source software, we, we have um, a saying here that comes from a New Zealand researcher. The question is no longer if you are bright, but but how you are bright. Yeah, yeah. And when we've moved past that old notion that 50% must pass and 50% must fail. And we can actually now look at students' strengths and say, you may not be fantastic at spelling, but you're incredible at developing computer games or you may not be a great painter but you're an excellent music composer we actually need to be equipping our students for that digital future where they may not know that they're gifted 3d modelers if they don't have 3d modeling software presented to them and you know at least a little bit of rudimentary um teaching but what what we've managed to do by only using uh open source software is to stack every single one of our desktops and potentially every computer in every home of our community with the most full-featured set of applications that means that they could be making a stop-motion animation or composing a symphony or 3d modeling or analyzing a sports match free of charge what we would have to do if we were paying um, software licenses I call software licenses a tax on creativity is that we would probably have to limit it to either um, half a dozen computers because sports match analysis software is incredibly expensive so only the chosen few would be privileged enough to be able to go into those half dozen computers we would have to Roland you might like to just hit the mute button temporarily (laughs) yeah sorry about that I think someone spilled something in the kitchen um, or we would, um, you know, schools can sometimes fudge it by getting site licenses for things, but still that places that that restriction on a certain uh, a certain place at a certain time. And so if you're if you're locked out of that that room that has um, those tools on it, then you're basically locked out of the ability to be creative or locked out of learning. Yeah. No. Agreed. <laughs> Sorry, I was waiting to see who was going to jump in there. The um, there are some, and there are some wonderful software tools now in the open source sphere. Um, I, I'm guessing you guys are running uh, Ubuntu or something on the desktop. Yeah, yeah, we are actually. Um, it's a it's a really good operating system. I've done no user training for. I, this will surprise you, but the students, sure, they can get on and learn their way around. So if there isn't a big start button at the bottom left, then they go to applications, you know, top left, and they'll find their way around. But in fact, I did no staff training either. So um, they were handed, our staff members were handed laptops running Ubuntu, um, and I did no user training, and not one person asked for unit user training. It's just really intuitive to use. Chris, um, I've, I've, got, I've noticed something, and maybe it's just anecdotal from my own school, but it, I find that the girls actually quick, are quicker to pick up at Ubuntu and to navigate their way around than some of the boys. And I think part of that is that prejudice that the guys come in, oh, I know computers, it's up here, click here, click here, and actually become clickwise. They kind of know where the control panel is, and that shows a level of smartness. Whereas 
with the girls. I think they're a lot more plastic with the idea of um, how to work a bit. But as one girl actually pointed out, she said, I don't actually install software. My brother's locked me out. I've only got a guest account at home. But with this Ubuntu thing that I've got, I can do anything I want. Mm-hmm. One of the best stories I heard was um, a teacher here in Sydney. Um, and I'm not 100% sure who it was, so I won't quote their name. Uh, but they were running IT in the school and the school was on Microsoft Office and he wanted to go to Open Office. So he just overnight one weekend just pulled down uh, Microsoft Office from all the machines, put Open Office on and on Monday told them that it was a new version of Microsoft Office. <laughs> and they went, oh, okay, no worries. And they carried, yeah. carried on. We did something I, uh, similar. Did, yeah. I did tell um, some of our students that Ubuntu was um, Windows 7 before they'd seen Windows 7. <laughs> and it almost is. Well, I, it's I, actually, I would argue, the leap but from XP to Vista is greater than from XP to something like Ubuntu or Debian. It's actually far definitely. more intuitive. Yeah, and well, you can say, "I'm Ubuntu, and Windows Seven was my idea." Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really powerful that you think about the um, the user interface changes and, and and sometimes some of that heavy lifting that we worry about. Would it be nice if we didn't worry so much about some of the nuances of these slightly different variations of software and we started thinking about the heavy lifting that's got to happen in the creativity and, and, that, and that traction? I think sometimes the departments get uh, too caught up with worrying about some of the versioning flavoring. I'd like to have a rich environment that's creative and I see that with the open source community and the kind of collaboration that kind of happens amongst the members there. Um, and I'd like to have that kind of environment where kids can sort of pick and choose and sort of work their way through, that there's a real choice that's happening there. And you can do that when um, you set up an environment that is open, that the students have a sense of ownership, not one that's locked down and thrown away and uh, sort of mirrors a commercial world. Yeah, I think that whole thing about kids should be using the same software in school that they're going to use in, quote, the real world um, is a real piece of misdirection. Um, yeah. it's, it's got nothing to do with it. The real world, the real world, I hate that expression, but like the world outside of school is the world outside of school and the world inside of school is the world inside of school and they're two different worlds and there's no reason why you should have to use one piece of software at school because the outside world happens to use it. That's just ridiculous really when you stop and think about it. Well, 15 years ago I taught old generation um, was it WordPerfect and I haven't seen many of them sort of sitting at the railway stations with tin cans collecting loose change because they've become obsolete. This, this notion of industry standard software, when I was learning, it was word perfect. And again, you don't see it. It's a myth that there is an industry standard. It depends on your industry. Yeah, it depends sure. on your your employer. What's far more important is to teach flexibility and mm. to teach mm. the concepts. So if it's not a you know file insert image, it's insert image from file. You know that somebody doesn't just stare blankly at the screen when when the menu's not in the right place that's what we've got to teach yeah absolutely 100% agree um i just can i just i'm going to have to go but um on the topic of uh, the the whole business of a philosophy or ethics there's a guy called richard stallman who's mm-hmm. written a very small um uh, thing about uh, He's the in australia of, soon isn't he that's right, and that's what I was just going to say. He's he's going to be touring Australia um, next, starting next month, and um, you know, so keep an eye out for him in capital cities yeah. because he'll be talking about the ethical use. He's or the guy that wrote the GPL. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Invented free software. Yes, so keep an eye out for that. But yeah, I've I've got to go now, and it's been, good, been great chatting. No worries, mate. Thanks for dropping in. Appreciate it. Yeah. Cheers. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.
Uh, Mark, you don't happen to live on the side of a volcano, do you? Uh, no, no, I'm one of the few people in Auckland who who, who don't. <laughs> I just saw the trilogy there because I live on the side of Mount Dandenong, which is an old volcano, and we just lost Mount Gambier there, which was an old volcano. So, <laughs> well, there are 50 volcanoes in uh, in Auckland city. Most of them uh, are dormant or extinct. So we're not. I'm not far from one. Um, I mention it because I know we've got um, a day coming up, uh, which is going to be volcanic in Victoria. That's uh, Software Freedom Day. Yeah, we're actually we're planning uh, a, a big software freedom day um, event here at, at the school. Actually, we're going to have it in Stallfest and various other things. But um, the big, the highlight from from last year that we're going to be repeating this year is our students um, having a big LAN party because we've got these kick-ass computers that are running an amazing operating system and we've got about a dozen open source um, computer games installed on the actual machines themselves so you know at 310 the, the lessons end and uh, the Nexus and Open Arena come out and the, the kids start shouting across the uh, across the classrooms as they're playing um, computer <laughs> games against each other you know, you know, here's something that strikes me is how fast this is moving, though. I remember when you and I spoke in Auckland not 12 months ago, you were one of the first persons I'd seen use a Google phone and you had the very first, um, whatever it was, the, what was the, the first HTC Google phone called? Magic. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It was an HTC Magic, yeah. And you were saying, yeah, it's not bad, but like, you know, it was a philosophical choice to not get an iPhone because, you know, it was a closed platform and you wanted to go open and all the rest of it. and. Mm-hmm. If you look at where Androids come in not even 12 months, they're selling, was it uh, 1.6, no, 600,000 phones a week or something of Android now? Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're like it's matured to the point where it's probably, a more, well, in many ways, a more sophisticated operating system than the iPhone. Yeah, um, there are far more Android phones than iPhones out there in the market. Yeah. They're activating something like 200,000 a week. Is it 200,000? Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they've grown well over four hundred percent in the in the last six months. So when you look at where it was twelve months ago, which was kind of a you know it was an okay alternative, you know, if you were philosophically opposed to the to the mainstream, to now being you know a serious contender for the mainstream, um, and and then you look at other things like the way Ubuntu's come on from. I remember trying to install Linux years ago and it was just a nightmare. And lately I've been using a thing called Jolly Cloud, which is mm. based on Ubuntu and it's just a cloud-based OS and it's just like so simple to install and use. Um, it's fascinating how fast it's moved. One of the um, one of the really interesting spaces is uh, the, the Chrome operating system that Google's pushing, which yeah. is literally just the browser. Yep. Um, I've, uh, the, the reason I think of it is, is I've just this week installed a plugin for the Chrome browser and for my Google Android phone that's called Chrome to Phone. And yep. it's a serious move towards really ubiquitous, seamless access to information. So picture yourself sitting at your desk and you're halfway through watching a YouTube video, a TED Talk or something, or you're reading an article and you've got to go to an appointment. You hit the Chrome to Phone button that sends it to your phone and so you jump on the train or the bus and carry on where you left off on that YouTube video or that article or that whatever you're working on so the information is actually following you that's the sort of innovation that comes about from uh, from open source yep absolutely Mm. and it's, (laughs) it's got so much momentum at the moment 
we're even thinking of um, at the moment uh, the XO3 will be uh, running um, Android, and that's the um, open source um, laptop computer project successor for the XO1 that our school works with. Hmm. And Mark, um, just for the record, really um, nice. Roland does a lot of stuff with the OLPC stuff here in uh, Australia. Right, right. We've got a really strong OLPC community here and um, Sugar as an operating system is really getting some traction in, uh, in schools, particularly with um, students who have uh, low levels of English, but also um, students who have low levels of literacy. So um, emergent learners, the five and six year olds, because the operating system is just astonishing for um, being able to navigate without even needing to use a single word in English. It's yeah. really intuitive and yep. really quite stunning. Yeah, And that's, I think what strikes me from hearing all of you guys talk about this stuff is these decisions are being made for the right reasons for uh, for educationally sound reasons uh, and not just because it's, you know, the expected thing. Oh, yeah. The sugar interface is probably a little bit more like the Ubuntu Macintosh interface, but it's been rearranged in a way that um, kind of education learning comes first. Mm. Um, it really threw me when um, I had my first two um, XO1 machines and I was quite excited and whipped off to Monash University to show some of the, um, the uh, student teachers there. And what threw me was that I couldn't network them. And I'm sitting there fluffing around at them and I'm thinking, here I am, I should know all about channels and all that stuff. Took it back to school and my year 11's figured it out in 10 minutes. And I remember asking, well, what was it I was doing wrong? And so you stopped fiddling with it, sir. It was You're actually figured out. Hard. It was trying to do it itself, but you kept changing the settings. Once you left it alone, it worked it out itself. And that was the mesh networking, which is an intelligent network that's kind of pulls itself together. And there's a button on the screen, sir. It's the neighborhood button. And, of course, I'd been playing around the periphery of it and I'd forgotten. Um, there was actually a button on it which actually allows you to see the community and you can then visualize the people who are around you, what they're doing. The way to actually network was to add friends to your community. Mm. And, and that's a big shift to where um, we were coming from. We are thinking of files and folders and little filing cabinets. And, again, that office metaphor that takes it over. Whereas where kids are coming from is that they're thinking of their friends, their little group of um, friends together which form a community which might be sharing activity and there might be more than one activity running yeah. and that's where sugar comes in anyone can actually join up with sugar you don't need an XO1 laptop you can get sugar on a stick that's the project I'm with and uh, you can just download and uh, get sugar running on a USB key and have a play with it and actually uh, maybe even come involved with the development community that's no, a, a really, really good point that you make there. The, the default mentality for us who, who are kind of burdened with the um, the filing cabinet metaphor because mm. that's all we know. We've we've grown up with computers that are designed to be office productivity tools and actually emerged out of um, standalone computers that, that weren't networked. Something like Sugar and, and, uh, and um, similar operating systems, they... Uh, social is the default mm. and play is the default mm -hmm. because learning is social and you learn through play yeah. and you're meant to just go on and play and explore and we're, we're you know and the older generation are hardwired almost to um, to have some kind of um, office-based overlay to all of our operating systems. We can't just let go and, and explore things. Um, and often people judge a project like Sugar through that mentality. Yep, absolutely. On that high note, I'm going to try and keep this under an hour. <laughs> 
because I think that's a really uh, valid point to live on. So, Mark, where can people find you on the web, mate? Um, I've got two ways to do it. One is uh, my blog. That's um, all one word, um, theopensourceschool.blogspot.com. It's mm-hmm. theopensourceschool.blogspot.com. And uh, the school website, Albany Senior High School's school website is ashs.school.nz. Excellent. No worries. And Roland, where can people find you? Crops, I'm all over the place. Um, <laughs> I just checked. I just checked Google. You could just Google Roland Guesthausen. I've got a Dutch cousin who's a unicyclist, but hasn't popped up on the first page yet. So <laughs> I've still got that. Um, I have a blog, um, Pluckbook, P L A K B O E K dot livejournal dot com. Um, education AU, but I'm also active online in a number of different forums, and um, I've got my fingers probably too many pies. But it's an exciting world out there, and it's great to be part of it. No worries. So. And, of course, we had Peter Ruwalt on before. That's Peter, P-E-T-R-R-U-W-O-L-D-T. And with a name like that, I'm sure you can just Google him and find him. Um, guys, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a fascinating conversation. Um, I, Like I say, when Thank I met you. You, met, met you last year, Mark, and uh, had that conversation, I was just went away with so much food for thought about, you know, what I, what I find fascinating about this is you guys are really challenging the, the core beliefs about what school's really about. It's not about open source software and all that. That's all. That's just periphery. What what's underlying it all is you're questioning what a school actually should look like and what a school should work like. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, what it should work like for the students as well. That's that's the correct. Thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Thank absolutely. you. Thanks for finding us, Chris. No Great. worries. Thanks, Lovely guys. Talking to you, gents. Alrighty. Shall um, get this online shortly. And uh, thanks again for the chat. Awesome. Uh, my pleasure. Good fun. Thanks, mate. Bye. Okay. And Cheers. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, if you're using open source software, you might like to pop over to the uh, blog at uh, virtualstaffroom.net and leave a comment there in the comment feed. Love to hear from you. Um, speaking of the blog site, there was a bit of a drama with the uh, SQL Server. The, I don't know. It's a technical thing, but uh, the site basically fell over. And uh, I thought I lost a lot. And thanks to the goodness of the uh, the internet, um, some people who had old episodes stored in their feed readers and stuff but were able to supply me with all the missing stuff that we'd lost. So. Thankfully, everything's back online now. Um, yes, it was a bit of a drama for a while there, but uh, we seem to have recovered most of it. In fact, I think the site looks better than ever, and it's more functional than ever. It's got a whole lot more information, and I think it's a lot easier to use. So um, let me know what you think. Until um, next time, thanks for joining us. My name's Chris Betcher. You've been listening to The Virtual Staff Room.